0: wizard is never nicked. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? I always wanted to be a lumberjack! By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then, hello and welcome back. This is Storytime, and I am GamerDude. We're here for more stories today, thanks for joining us. Today, we're talking about Dungeons & Dragons. Yes, I have geek cred that goes way back, and I am an old-school Dungeons & Dragons player, so today's stories are about my days as a D&D guy. Now, when I say old-school, I am truly an old-school D&D player. I played AD&D first edition rules. I had to go back and check, because I know there have been many editions, and I didn't remember which rules that I played. We're on fifth edition rules now. I was an AD&D first edition player, and that's all I ever played. I played original Dungeons & Dragons from the beginning. Now, not from the very beginning. Dungeons & Dragons came out in 1974, and I didn't start playing till years later. But when I was playing, the only rules that existed were AD&D first edition. Now, before I dig too deeply, I know some folks are going to say, D&D? Really? We're going to have stories about D&D? Dungeons & Dragons was cool. Let me tell you, it was cool. I loved it. It was a great game. It was a great way to interact with friends. It was a great way to hang out with people you enjoyed. Just like we hang out in a Twitch stream and have conversations and talk back and forth, Dungeons & Dragons was a great social game. It was a great adventure game. It was a game that you made on your own as you played it. It was a game that you created on the fly because it was a you-choose-it adventure of your own device. You could do anything in Dungeons & Dragons, and I think that's why we enjoyed it so much. Now, as I was preparing this episode, I I had to dig back into my memory banks. I had to pull out some old books. I had to look at some of the old stuff because I, I literally haven't played in years, years and years. I mean, the second edition rules came out in 1989, so you can assume I haven't played since 1988 because I didn't use Any of the second edition rules. I don't even know what the second edition rules are. I had moved on to other things by 1989. But prior to that, I knew the rules. I had the books. I did everything. And I knew the game really well. As did my little core group of adventurers. And that's what it was about. It was about the adventure. It was about having a good time together. It was about creating a world and living in it. And enjoying it. And having adventures and missions and quests and going out and having a good time, all in your imagination. Now, there's so much to talk about with Dungeons & Dragons, and I can get into the details of all of our adventures, and maybe I will in a future episode. I just want to kind of paint with broad strokes today to give you a feeling of what the game was about, talk to you about why we liked it so much, and maybe disabuse you of some of the notions that you might have about, well, that's kind of a weird thing. Because it's really not a weird thing, it's just a different level of gaming. And when I say different level, I don't mean it's more complicated or more difficult. It's a difficult game to master only if you're unwilling to use your imagination. But what makes Dungeons & Dragons different is that it's a game, but it's not confined to a board and it's not confined to a set of rules. You have to meet these qualifications to win the game. Like in Monopoly, you have to bankrupt your friends and fellow players. Or in the game of life, you have to accumulate a million dollars. Or in Clue, you have to determine where the murder took place and who the murderer was and what they used. There is a definite goal in those kind of games. In Dungeons & Dragons, there is no end game. It just goes on and on and on. As long as you want it to. As long as you have willing participants. And as long as you have a dungeon master who's willing to keep dungeon mastering. Now, what does that mean? Well, the basic setup of a Dungeons & Dragons session is this. You have a Dungeon Master, and the Dungeon Master simply is the creator of the world who controls all of what we will call non-player characters. And then you need at least one character playing in the world. You can play Dungeons & Dragons with two people, a Dungeon Master and a player. It's so much better when you have a group, though, because then you have the interaction and the planning and the conversation about the adventure as you play the adventure. So you need at least one dungeon master and ideally two or three or four or five or six players who want to play along in your group. And then what happens is the dungeon master leads the players on an adventure. And leads is probably too strong a word because the dungeon master lays the world out there and then the players decide what they're going to do. Now, all of this is set in a kind of a fantasy adventure, J.R.R. Tolkien kind of realm. So you have magic and knights and clerics and demons and dragons and dwarves and elves and they're all part of this and you're interacting in this world. It's swords and sorcery is the best way to put it. Now, how do you get into something like this? Well, how I got into it was this. The Christmas during my sophomore year in college, my parents, who knew that I was interested in games, found this boxed set of AD&D rules, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. That's what AD&D means, in case you didn't know. There's Basic Dungeons and Dragons, and there's Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And AD&D is very rules-heavy, very structured, much more complicated than just Basic D&D. But they knew my penchant for games and intricacies and reading rules. I am the rule book reader. So they got me AD&D. And when I tell you rules, there are tons of rules. I'll put some links up in the description to this episode so you can see just what some of the books looked like. And when I say books, there were books. There was the Dungeon Master's Guide. There was the Player's Manual. There was the Monster Manual. Those were the basic three books that you used to not only create your character, but also understand the world in which you were playing. So my parents got me this set of ad rules back when I was in college. Now that's the perfect breeding ground for developing a group to play Dungeons & Dragons because you have a lot of downtime in college. If you're not out drinking or partying, you're sitting in your dorm between classes. And I had a group that we would hang around together. So when I got back to school after my Christmas break during my sophomore year, I brought with me my newly acquired edition of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons rules. And one weekend, one snowy weekend in Ohio, we sat down, three or four of my friends and me, and figured out the rules for Dungeons & Dragons. Now, me being me, I wanted to be Dungeon Master because I wanted to create the world. I wanted to create the world that everybody was participating in, and I wanted to run with it and see where we would go. And everybody else was fine with that because... When it comes right down to it, Dungeon Master requires a lot of work. Dungeon Master requires you to create a world, to create a campaign, to create a story that everybody is interested in participating in. But not only are you creating a world, you have to create the players, what we would call non-player characters, that the actual players interact with in this world. Now that may sound weird, so let me explain. What happens is each of the players creates a character to use in this world that the Dungeon Master has created. And when I say creates a character, you have the choice of several character classes, which I'll tell you about in a second. And you have the choice of the race that you want to be. By race, I mean human, elf, dwarf, halfling, which was the same as a hobbit. But we called them halflings because that's what they were in the rules. And you could be any of those races and be any of the classes and you would create your character to live in this world. My job as Dungeon Master was to create the world. So let's say they all start in a place called the Green Dragon Inn. I have to create the Green Dragon Inn. I have to describe it during the gaming session. Now, this is the days before we had miniatures. This is the days before we had tabletop maps. This is the days before we had quick erase boards where you could write things down and then erase it really quickly and draw in something else. When we were drawing things in, we were using old school graph paper and pencils. And we had tons of graph paper because we did a lot of drawing. But not only did I have to create the Green Dragon Inn, but I had to create the bartender at the Green Dragon Inn. If there was a piano, I had to create the piano player. If there was a barmaid, I had to create her. If there were other customers in the bar that these player characters would interact with, I had to create them too. And when I say create, I had to have an idea of what these characters were like and what their motivations were and what they would sound like in conversation. Why? Why? Because when you're playing Dungeons & Dragons, you're not just sitting there at a table. You have to describe what you're doing, why you're doing it, and what you want to do. So if, for instance, I'm playing a fighter and I want to go up to the bar and order a drink, me as the player character would tell the dungeon master, okay, I enter the bar and I'm heading up to the big bar and I'm talking to the bartender and I'm going to order a glass of mead. So now me as the dungeon master, I assume the role of the bartender. And you actually do play acting. Some people do more intricate play acting than others. We kind of got into our roles. So I would assume one of my voices, all right, what will it be, pal? And then the player character would respond and we'd act out these conversations about ordering mead or ordering food or getting a room for the night or whatever the interaction was going to be. And as we acted through these things, the player characters would step out of character to ask me, the Dungeon Master, questions. So if they were at the Green Dragon Inn looking for clues about the next adventure that they were going to go on, they would look around and see if there was a shady character sitting in a corner in a darkened booth. And I would put that character there. I would lay this out beforehand. And when I say beforehand, I would have the dungeons or the towns or the bars or wherever they were going to be all written out. And I'd have the full story arc laid out before me in notes so that if they were looking to the left and saw the dark corner and the shady character there, I knew where he was, I knew what his motivations were, and I knew what his messages would be to them if they ever encountered him. It was game design, but at a very basic level. It was pen and paper game design, and I had to lay all this out so that it would be an entertaining thing for them to do. So that's just the first encounter, going up to the bar and ordering a drink. Now, when you're playing the game, the players interact with each other. They talk to each other. They make plans together. All right, I'm going to go hit on the barmaid. You go talk to the bartender. See what that guy in the corner's about. And each of the people in the group would go do whatever they said they were going to do. And so they would have to tell me what they were doing and I would explain to them what the results of their interactions were. And everybody involved would pay attention to what's going on so they could follow the story. So you're playing a game and you're writing a story at the same time. And if you're doing your job as a dungeon master well, the people are interested in the story. The players want to see what happens next and they want to take the next step. And if the shady character in the corner says, well, you want to go up the hill to the abandoned schoolhouse. And behind the bookcase, there's a depressed stone that you're going to want to hit. And it opens up a door. And that's the seed to the beginning of the adventure. And eventually, the players will decide to go up to the abandoned school and hit the depressed stone behind the shelf. And the actual adventure truly begins. But they don't have to go up there. That's the beauty of Dungeons & Dragons. They can hang out in the bar all night and have interactions with themselves. Or they can decide not to talk to the shady character in the corner of the bar, and hop on their horses and head out of town and go south. I tried to have all different kinds of options available when I set up my world so that people had freedom of choice to do things. I would control things to a certain extent. I mean, I didn't have an endless world available to me because I didn't have endless time to do this. But I always had options available when we played the games. And I would steer people in directions so that we could move the stuff along rather than spend a night just drinking beer in an imaginary bar. But assuming that they followed along and went on the quest that I had set up for them that night, the quest would involve doing a lot of different things. It could involve solving puzzles. It could involve running into trolls. Not internet trolls, actual creatures from the fantasy adventure world. But those trolls might be roaming the corridors behind this abandoned schoolhouse. And then each of those encounters was governed by dice rolls. Now what do I mean by that? actual dice come into play. How does that work? Well, I'll give you a little background. Basically, each character and each monster you run into has hit points, and these are determined beforehand when I'm creating the dungeon, or by you when you create your character. And the battles between characters and monsters, or characters and characters, are determined by hit points and rolls of the dice. That's a very basic overview. I could go on and on and on about character creation and the interplay between dice and algorithms, and there are so many numbers involved in the game, I don't want to bore you to tears, but when you see folks carrying bags of dice around and going to a comic book shop, you can probably safely bet that they're either into Dungeons and Dragons or one of the many other RPGs that are out there that involve these rolls of the dice to determine your fate. Now, one of the things that I discovered and that I loved about Dungeons & Dragons is the dice. For years and years, I only knew of six-sided dice. You know, the standard dice that you'd get in a Monopoly game, for instance. I mean, when I was introduced to Yahtzee with five dice in a cup, wow. I didn't know you could have a game with more than two dice. But then, in the world of Dungeons & Dragons, you have six-sided dice, sure. That's your basic dice configuration. But you also use 4-sided die, 8-sided die, 10-sided die, 12-sided die, and the ever-popular 20-sided die. The 20-sided die, oh my god, that was an amazing thing to me. There's a there's a die with 20 sides? And the 20-sided die, oh, that was the lifeblood of Dungeons & Dragons, let me tell you. A natural 20 was a good thing, natural meaning you rolled it and 20 came up. And you call it a natural 20 because you're not adding any modifiers. And you do get modifiers in the game, depending on your class, your particular skill level, the spell you might be casting, the weapon you might be using. But a natural 20, that's a home run. A natural 1? Natural 1s are horrible with a 20-sided die. That's slip on a banana peel and drown yourself in the bathtub bad. That's how bad a natural 1 is on a 20-sided die in Dungeons & Dragons. But I learned all this by playing Dungeons & Dragons. I also learned there are things as bad dice. Oh yes, there's bad dice. Yeah, you might have bad dice at a craps table. There's nothing like a bad die in Dungeons & Dragons. That 20-sided die that always comes up a 1 at the worst possible time? We learned about Dice Prison. If you were a regular D&D player and that 20-sided was just betraying you every time, that die went into Dice Prison and you never used it again for the rest of the night. And you might not use it again for the next session because it was a bad die and it needed to be in Dice Prison for a while. And that's why I had several sets of dice so that when I had a particularly bad die, if I was playing as the dungeon master or as a player character, I would have backups for when the regular dice would fail me. Because so much rides on those dice rolls during Dungeons & Dragons. The results of combat, the results of magic spells, the results of testing for poison, the results of trying to charm someone, it all is dependent on how the dice come out. So you want your best possible dice in play to make sure that you were doing as well as you could do. Yes, I know it's all random. Of course I know that. But in the world of fantasy adventure, you can have cursed dice, and they go to dice prison. So just to give you a little background on the characters you can create and play in Dungeons and Dragons. In the first edition, you could be a human, an elf, a dwarf, or a halfling, as I said. Then you had essentially five basic classes you could be. The classes were what your career was, for lack of a better term. You could be a fighter. You could be a magic user. You could be a cleric. You could be a thief. And you could be a monk. There was also the Bard class, but the Bard was a special class in the first edition rules. To be a Bard, you actually had to change classes. I know this is a little too much detail, sorry. But just so you know, you had to start as a fighter, switch to a thief, and then you could become a Bard. You had to reach certain levels, you had to have certain stats, but the Bard was, to me, the coolest class. The fighter had a couple of subclasses. You could be a paladin, which was a really holy do-gooder, or you could be a ranger, kind of like Aragorn. Thieves could be assassins. Usually thieves became assassins if they had really low charisma, because nobody wanted to deal with them. And clerics could be druids, which were more nature-oriented than church-oriented. Now, you heard me mention charisma. Charisma was one of the six abilities that each character had, and that you assigned values to when you created your character. Now, the six abilities are strength, intelligence, wisdom, dexterity, constitution, and charisma. And when you created your character, you would roll three six-sided dice, and that result gave you the point value for each of those abilities. Now, under first edition rules, you essentially went down that list, rolled three dice, and that number is what you were stuck with. We modified it a little because it could be very, very bad to have a character with three strength, nine intelligence, seven wisdom, You want the high numbers, (laughs) especially if you want to have a good character. You want decent numbers when you roll your dice. So we would allow you to roll five six-sided dice and pick the best three. We would also sometimes allow you to roll the dice and then assign that number to whichever ability you wanted to have. The reason that we did that is because if you wanted to play a fighter, for instance, you had to have a high-level strength. You didn't need wisdom or intelligence to be a good fighter, but you did need strength. Magic users needed high intelligence. Clerics needed high wisdom. Thieves needed high dexterity. Charisma was always important for things like saving throws or interactions with other people, including the villains, because if you had high charisma, you could sometimes charm the villains or at least delay the inevitable. And constitution determined how healthy you were, how much damage you could take, How easy you would be to resurrect in case, you know, something bad happened and you needed to find a cleric with a resurrection spell. So you had to figure out all of these abilities and then based on the abilities you had, you had to determine what kind of character you wanted to play. A fighter, a magic user, a cleric, and so on. And then you had to figure out your alignment. Alignment is what kind of person are you? Are you a good guy or a bad guy? Now, alignments are broken down into a whole lot of different categories, too. You could be lawful and you could be good. Lawful good is a guy who does the right thing all of the time for the good of being a good person. Paladins, for instance, were lawful good. They could only be lawful good. On the other hand, you could be the exact opposite, which would be chaotic evil. Chaos is the opposite of lawful. Evil is the opposite of good. So there's essentially nine alignments you could have lawful good, lawful neutral, lawful evil, chaotic good, chaotic neutral, chaotic evil, neutral good, neutral evil, or true neutral. Certain characters required you to play lawful good. Certain characters required you to have an evil essence to you. For instance, an assassin was not a good guy. And so all of these things are factors that you would consider informing your character. So when my buddies and me got together in college and we sat down to our first session of D&D, we literally spent hours creating characters. And then, of course, you have to come up with a name. So you'd create the character, you'd figure out what class you were going to play, you would figure out what alignment you wanted to play, and then you had to name the character. I remember my best friend in college, the first character he created was a fighter, and he named him Zepp, short for Led Zeppelin, his favorite band. So Zep was the very first character that was ever created in a world that I was the DM for. I also remember Cedric the Cleric. I don't remember why it was Cedric. I just remember Cedric the Cleric was one of our first characters. Now, the beauty of a well-run Dungeons & Dragons campaign is this. The players care about what happens. They're into it. They've created the character. They're invested in the story that you've created, and they want to advance that story. They want to see what you've created for them. And when I say created for them, as a dungeon master, you do a lot of creating. Now, as I mentioned, the game was created in 1974 by a couple of guys, Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson, and they laid the framework for how to create worlds. They also produced what are called modules, which are essentially preformed worlds, with dungeons and puzzles and monsters and treasures all laid out in these maps that they include with these modules. So you could actually go out and buy pre-made dungeons to run in your campaign. And we did that. I remember a couple of the first ones that we did. Some names stick in your head. The Village of Hamlet. It's a first-level dungeon module and that is a pre-packaged thing that came with the version of the rules that I had. And it lays out a village for you and it lays out the scenario where you can introduce your players to the Dungeons & Dragons world. We did another one called The Lost Caverns of Zocanth. I may be mispronouncing that, but that's the way we set it. And that's another preformed module, where the dungeons are all set out, the treasures are all set out, the monsters are all set out. You can incorporate that into your own world, or you can just play it as a standalone adventure. And what I would do as the Dungeon Master is I would read the module beforehand, and know how I wanted to direct the players and how I would act the NPCs and how I would explain certain rooms and certain scenarios to them. So, you could buy these modules and you would have these ideas already laid out for you, and all you had to do was kind of shepherd the players through this preformed dungeon. And that was fun, and there were some really good adventures and really well written modules. But one of the things that I discovered about Dungeons and Dragons was that I liked to create, I had story ideas. I mean, I'm a writer. I like stories anyway. And maybe Dungeons & Dragons is where the writer in me came out even stronger than it was. Because I loved writing the stories. I loved writing the adventures. So I would create my side players, and I'd create my flunkies, and I'd create my right-hand man to the arch-villain. And I had this arch-villain, whether it was a demon, or a warlock, or some evil doer in another town pulling the strings of everybody in the village of Hamlet, for instance. That's what I would do. I would create this world and I'd shepherd the people through it. And it was fun. I loved it. And everybody seemed to enjoy the dungeons that I would create and the campaigns that I would run. My episode about Dungeons and Dragons wouldn't be complete if I didn't include the little story about trying to get my mother involved. My mother liked playing games too, and she would always play card games. She would always play board games. She always enjoyed playing games with me and my friends when I was growing up. So the year after they gave me Dungeons and Dragons for Christmas, I brought it home at Christmas time. This would be the Christmas during my junior year in college. And I encouraged my mom to form a character, and we'd have a little campaign at home with my sister and my brother and her. And we'd have a nice little Dungeons and Dragons adventure together. We didn't get past the part about alignment. My mother was not a religious zealot by any stretch, but she was a religious person. If you listen to my episode about Christian science, you know what my beliefs were when I was a kid and how my parents brought me up, and she was a very religious person. So when I explained to her that you have to pick an alignment now, you have to decide if you're going to be good or evil, she said, well, I don't believe there is evil. Well, I know that, Mom, but in this game, you have to accept that evil could be a premise and you have to accept it. Well, I don't accept it. I know, Mom, but it's part of the game. Well, how can I play a game where I can't even believe in the underlying principles of the game? Well, Mom, it's a fantasy. I mean, you've heard there's good and evil in the world. You could pretend that you're fighting only evil. I don't accept the premise that there is evil. Okay, Mom, put the dice down. That's it. We're not playing. Where's the Monopoly board? So our effort to play Dungeons & Dragons with my mother, short-lived. There is so much more to talk about with Dungeons & Dragons, as you can probably guess. There was so much going on in our Dungeons & Dragons world, and I could obviously talk for a long time about it. There's also the whole thing in the 1980s about the fear of Dungeons & Dragons. Oh yeah, there was a huge scare about Dungeons & Dragons going on in the 80s, and we lived through it, we survived, and thankfully so did the game, because it is an awesome game. But for now, that's going to do it for this episode of Storytime. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate your support. I can't thank you enough for all of the time you spend with me and for giving me this forum to tell you my stories. I really do appreciate it. Until next time, you take care of yourselves, and I'll see you when I see you.